This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Majority Report, John Corvino, The David Pakman Show, The Proud to Be Project, The Unfuck It Up Project, Jim Hightower, The Matthew Shepard Foundation, and The Rachel Maddow Show. And a quick trigger warning regarding descriptions of anti-gay violence from The Matthew Shepard Murder. Newark Mayor Cory Booker was speaking with the, the Washington Post, and a common criticism for Cory Booker, apparently common, came up, uh, and they asked him why he hasn't settled down with anyone and why he isn't even seen very often with women. There are some references to 2007 when he was seen with Ariana Huffington. He denied that there was any sort of romantic entanglement there. But when asked, uh, when asked why he's never seen with women, he said, um, because how unfair is it to a young lady to put them in the spotlight if they haven't signed up for that yet? And people who think I'm gay, some part of me thinks it's wonderful because I want to challenge people on their homophobia. I love seeing on Twitter when someone says I'm gay and I say, so what does it matter if I am? So be it. I hope you are not voting for me because you are making the presumption that I'm straight. Which, as a liberal, I love that statement. I think that's a great way to respond to it. I can only assume that his, uh, his opponents in his uh, upcoming election are as mature when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. Um, I think we have some video, right? Okay, let, let's show that, that maturity right now. He was, I believe, purposely ambiguous about his sexuality. He uh, said uh, this, he said um, he likes when people tweet out that he's gay because he likes to challenge people on their homophobia. Uh, and he said, if he, he said uh, uh, so what, if, what does it matter if I am? So be it. What do you think he's doing there? I, I didn't see that, Steve. It's kind of weird. As a guy, I personally like being a guy. I mean, you know, he, 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 uh, this is, I don't know if you saw the stories last year. They've been out quite a bit about how he likes to go out at 3 o'clock in the morning for a manicure and a pedicure. Although I don't like going out in the middle of the night or any time of the day for a manicure and pedicure. It was described as his, his peculiar fetish is how it was described. I have a more peculiar fetish. I like a good scotch and a cigar. That's my fetish, but we'll just compare the two. Can I can I jump in here yeah. on this one as the professional gay? Um, <laughs> first off, the implication that somehow at 3 a.m. he's getting manicures and pedicures, I think, is really interesting. <laughs> that at, he goes he out at night and gets manicures because that's far worse than if you were uh -huh. to do it during the day because uh -huh. that could be that's somewhat okay. But then scotch and and a cigar, you know, a cigar uh, often a is thought of right as a phallic uh, symbol. <laughs> I mean, this. But guy, he only likes putting it in his mouth, though. To be fair. <laughs> That's one of the two good places. And to be fair, I think it's. I think he's actually implying he's going up for manicures and pedicures. I don't think he's actually implying he really gets them. I think he's going. I don't even he's know what that. I is that I, what he's saying? I, yeah, I, so. I genuinely didn't know I, I that either. I genuinely didn't get that. If that yeah. was where he it, was it doesn't really matter. The whole thing was screaming. <laughs> he's gay. He's gay. Oh, I'm straight. I'm straight, man. Like yeah. I, with the things I put on my mouth are awesome, and not yeah. him though. Okay. Okay. Why was that question asked in the first place? I feel like Cory Booker handled it perfectly. But the fact that that was even asked, like, oh, we, we don't see you hanging around women. Like, what's going on? What's up with your sexuality? Who cares? Who cares? You know, I, I interviewed Cory Booker once at a... I did not know until I read this story today that Cory Booker wasn't married, first of all. I thought he was married and, and straight. I've always presumed him to be straight. I interviewed him once at a gay event for the Harvey Milk School, and we ended up talking about basketball almost the entire time. I had no indication that he was gay. I had no mm -hmm. hint or tip-off or anything like that. And I think his answer 
picture here is perfect because if we're going to change, if we're really going to change the dialogue about this, then we need someone to, who I presume to be straight, but even if he isn't, I think it's fine, to be like, you know what, I don't care, and I don't care what you think, and, I'm gonna, and this is what I believe in, and, and like me or don't like me for my policies, but not because you think that maybe I'm straight or, or I'm getting manicures at 3 a.m. Kevin Rudd is the Australian Prime Minister. Uh, he's in a tight re-election race, and recently, like many other center-left leaders across the world, he's changed his position to support full marriage equality. Uh, he's been pretty uh, strong about it. He actually posted an essay explaining his change in position. And as far as these, you know, look, some people are going to change their positions on these issues, especially baby boomer politicians. I guess more power to you. Not everybody in politics, at least now, is going to always have had the right position. But, you know, better to be the right position now. And in a guy like Rudd's case, he seems very sincere and very passionate about it. So he Let's was get a- as many people on the right side regardless of how they previously felt. Exactly. So anyways, he was at a Q&A session sponsored by uh, the Australian uh, ABC, which I think is their public broadcasting station, public television. I'm not sure, but I think that's what it is. Uh, and he got a question from an audience member who identified himself as a Christian, I think also as a, a pastor, right? Is that true? Yeah, a Christian pastor. Yes. So this guy identified himself as a pastor, and he basically first took Rudd to task. He kind of was like, you're flip-flopping on these issues, and why did you flip-flop on gay marriage? And But but there's there was a subtext to the question, obviously, that was very anti-gay, and Rudd explained how he'd gone through his, you know, his evolution on the, on the question. But he pushed back on the guy and he said, well, I'm not clear though where this question is coming from. Is this about me changing positions or do you think that gay people are not born as gay and that there's something wrong with being gay? The pastor, interestingly enough, when he, when he asked the question, he never said gay marriage or same-sex marriage. He specifically was, was cautious to use that wording. He specifically was like, your feelings on marriage. Yes. So I think the prime minister wanted to actually hear the pastor say this so he can give him a, a more accurate rebuttal. Give him a full, robust answer. We're going to play this sound. It's pretty amazing. This is first the moderator asking the pastor to, to be more specific with his question. Right. And then you'll hear the prime minister. Yeah. What, what it is that you believe Christians in particular are upset about? I think the, I think the thing is that, uh, you know, every uh, pastor, uh, we, we do marriages between husbands and wives. And, you know, Jesus said... Uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and be married, and that's the biblical definition. Uh, I just believe in what the Bible says, and I'm just curious for you, Kevin, if you call yourself a Christian, why don't you believe the words of Jesus in the Bible? Well, okay. mate, thank you. Well, mate, if I was going to have that view, uh, the Bible also says that slavery is a natural condition.
Just to add, the pastor right now, his face is is glorious. And I would also add, he, he, I, he does he does the big gulp. He goes, mm-hmm. yeah. And I like how Rudd starts with "Well, mate." It's a great <laughs> Australian touch. Go ahead. Because St. Paul said in the New Testament, slaves be obedient to your masters. And therefore, we should have all fought for the Confederacy in the U.S. Civil War. I mean, for goodness sake, the human condition and social conditions change. What is the fundamental principle of the New Testament? It is one of universal love, loving your fellow man. And if we get obsessed with um, a particular definition of that through a form of sexuality, then I think we're missing the centrality of what the gospel, whether you call it a social gospel, a personal gospel, or a spiritual gospel, is is all about. And therefore, I go back to my question. If you think homosexuality is an unnatural condition, then frankly, I cannot agree with you based on any element of the science. And therefore, if a person's sexuality is as they are made, then you've got to ask the second question. Should, therefore, their loving relationships be legally recognised? And the conclusion I've reached is that they should. And on the question of chopping and changing, I wrote a two or three thousand essay, a two or three thousand word essay, stuck it online months and months and months ago before returning to the Prime Ministership so everyone would know why I had changed my position, the reasons for it, and it was the product of some many, many months and years of reflection in good Christian conscience. Okay. Uh, for Kevin Rudd and Rosh Hashanah. That was great. That was great. Although, the, the shot of the past afterwards it sort of makes it look like he's saying to himself, like, well, I still don't like them gays, mate. <laughs> yeah, the pastor's just like, yeah, those are a lot of fancy words, but I don't like gay people. <laughs> Which is what the whole position just boils down to. It's uh, basic bigotry. Hi, I'm John Corvino. I don't understand people who say that letting same-sex couples marry would be a threat to traditional marriage. I mean, do they think that when people see happy gay couples, they're all going to decide to go gay? After all, the usual response to a gay person is not, Hey, no fair! How come he gets to be gay? Do they think that when straight people see same-sex marriage, they're going to give up on the institution of marriage? What's that dinner conversation going to look like? Well, Jane, I wanted to marry you, but now the guys next door are getting married, so forget it. Do they think that people will become confused over what marriage means? What part of it? The commitment part? The love and sacrifice part? The for better or for worse? It's not like anyone's going to get into something that they didn't bargain for. Nobody's going to walk a bride down the aisle, lift the veil, and say, Damn! You're a dude! When gay people find each other, fall in love, and get married, it does not take anything away from you. Unless you were planning on being with one of them yourself, in which case, you should probably be glad that we figured this out now. 
Nobody in the debate is trying to make same-sex marriage mandatory. Straight people will still be able to marry the partners of their choosing. In fact, I'm a big believer in traditional heterosexual marriage. Some of my best friends are straight. Even my parents are straight. But I recognize that heterosexual marriage is not right for everyone. And we don't do anyone any favors by pressuring them into situations that they're not suited for. We don't do gay people any favors, or the people they marry, or their children and families. And so when people say to you that same-sex marriage is a threat to traditional marriage, remember that marriage is not a finite resource. There's enough love and commitment to go around. One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen. So if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show, after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restriction. So if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. In another move that is... uh putting, I, I would say, liberals and most people around the world behind the Pope. He seems to be a fairly uh, progressive guy in a lot of ways. He was recently interviewed, and he started talking about the focus of the Catholic Church, and especially people in America, the, the religious uh, people in the media, and things of that sort. And he started talking about the focus and what it needs to be. And so we've got a, a little bit from what he said. He said, we cannot insist only on issues related to abortion, gay marriage, and the use of contraceptive methods. This is not possible. I have not spoken much about these things, and I was reprimanded for that. The church's pastoral ministry cannot be obsessed with the transmission of a disjointed multitude of doctrines to be imposed incessantly. Basically saying that they need to make uh, Catholicism an open house that welcomes people as opposed to shutting them out. Now, immediately in the wake of that, some of the other leaders in the Catholic Church said... No, I'm not buying it. And so we've got the Catholic League president, Bill Donahue. They couldn't be questioning the Pope, could they? Cause that, I mean, one he's a Catholic. Think, uh, infallible, yeah. And, and also, yeah. didn't St. Peter say, you're the Pope now? I mean, isn't that how it works? <laughs> yeah, I think, it's, uh, I think it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure Bill Donahue understands how being a Catholic really yeah, works. No. Yeah. But uh, let's, let's find we'll, out. We'll, we'll straighten him out, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, so he was on CNN. This is what he said. If 81% of the victims are male and 100% of the victimizers are male right. and if 78% of the victims are post-pubescent the word of the English language is not pedophilia it's called homosexuality no it would be called no no it, it would is. be called ephebophilia that no. is where that is when you attack no, that's people not even who are in their it's teeth. not a clinical term that's Listen. a made-up term to make people you, feel good so they're, they're, they're talking about the, the molestation scandals and him basically uh, immediately Bill Donahue turns to no this isn't a problem with the system we've set up the, the, the views of sex that we've per perpetrated for centuries now no it's just the homosexuals who have come in they're the problem and so immediately when the first opportunity comes up after the Pope's remarks they turn to bashing homosexuals and he says in further comments on CNN no I'm not trying to bash homosexuals but he keeps doing it throughout the interview he shouldn't, he shouldn't be on TV 
you know, I don't, I don't know, like, he represents the Catholic League, but I mean, you know, baseball had a federal league for yeah. a while, but nobody paid attention <laughs> to it. Who's in like, the Catholic League? Yeah. Who's it, the, the Angels? The Angels are yeah. definitely yeah, in the Catholic League. Yeah. Yeah. Padres? The Padres, yeah. right. <laughs> um, so the Pope says, let's be open. Donahue says, not buying it. Uh, right. We're not going to be open. And in fact, our worst scandal, you just told me to, like, say, hey, you know, let's keep an open mind about gays, et cetera. I'm going to take our worst scandal, which is, which is not, it's about pedophilia because it's literally whether they were males or females who were molested were underage, under the age of 18. Now, he's drawing a fascinating line there. Like, post-pubescent. Post-pubescent. So, like, if they were under 12, uh, 12 or 13, he says, well, all right, I'll give you that. That's pedophilia. <laughs> but between 13 and 17, we're not allowed to fuck those guys? <laughs> Come on. Okay. And so you fuck the girls who were between 13 and 17. Yeah. I mean, come on, right? Well, the ones who had sex with the guys between 13 and 17. And the damn Pope is ruining the party. That's right. Come on. Those are the gays. That's that, the problem. That clip's got to go up. <laughs> we're not allowed to fuck those guys? Come on. <laughs> So that's in essence what Bill Donahue is saying, and, and I think the Pope would say, no, no, one, you're not allowed to have sex with those people, yeah. and two, stop demonizing people who it, is, it has nothing to do with. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and to the Pope's credit, he apparently is thinking about possibly changing their policies in terms of abstinence for the priests, which yes. I think would go a long way towards fixing this. Yeah, and but instead not, we could just bash they, case. They, 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 didn't, they didn't used to be abstinent. I mean, it's, right. you know. And the liberal groups that are, that are saying, oh, don't be fooled by this Pope, don't be... He's the Pope. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's not going to come out and say, you know, let's, let's have a float in the gay parade. He's <laughs> on Pride Day. I mean, he's still the Pope. He, he is doing gradual he's starting a conversation within the church that is a long time in coming. I mean, he's the sort of the Gorbachev figure in the Catholic Church. And, you know, I think that the Bill Donahue's uh, of the world are, are going to watch the church, uh, ironic as it may be, pass them by. You talk of making plans. You hold it in your hands. And when the time comes round, you always play it down and you say, Let's talk about whether people choose to be gay. This is something that we've been going off, uh, we've been, we've been uh, combating from the extreme religious right for a long time. And the idea, of course, is that if you choose to be gay, then you, are no, you, are, you don't deserve certain rights that maybe you would if being gay is just a condition of the human species that, that in the same way that many people are born straight, some people are born gay, and it is just part of the human condition. Those would be two very different things. Now, typically, religious right-wingers like to say, no, 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 you definitely choose to be gay. And that's exactly what Southern Pastor Mark Harris said. He announced that he's going to be running for U.S. Senate in North Carolina. And he did an interview where he was talking about uh, being gay, being a choice, or not being a choice. Let's just listen and watch, uh, l listen to and watch a little bit of that interview. I yet to buy in, as there is not the medical evidence that an individual that chooses the uh, 
the homosexual lifestyle is born that way. That is so, a so, choice. Okay, so you're saying it's a choice. But do, do you really believe people would make that choice for themselves? Well, in, in all honesty, and I think we will just have to agree to disagree sure. on, on whether it's a choice. I, I think that the medical, um, it, it's almost, to be honest with you, the medical reports or the, or the, uh, the medical evidence that would be posted, there has been just as much that would say that it is not, uh, that you're not born that way, that it is a choice, as much as there would be volumes that would try to make the case that you are born that way. It's kind of like the, if you get down to the issue of the evidence of global warming, uh, you've got, you've got scientists on both sides. So, for, I have so much to say about this. First of all, at the very end, he says, this is just like the thing about climate change. You have people on both sides. You do, but when you actually look at whether there's a consensus or not, it's like 97 to 3 or 98 to 2 that, in fact, human activity on Earth is having an effect on the climate. And in the same way, he says, well, you kind of need more. Well, there's no real evidence, and I think people choose to be gay. And the, just a, just a very basic questioning of this would show us how absurd this logic is because the question then is if people choose to be gay what do you base that on and he says well uh, some of the things I've read there's conflicting evidence about that okay well if people choose to be gay then I'm sure people also choose to be straight right did you ever choose to be gay uh, to be straight rather if he says yes I did choose to be straight uh, then of course we can say well uh, um, that that uh, oh, uh, then why would you would it be okay to discriminate against you for your choice to be straight and if he says no I was actually uh, I was born straight but other people choose to be gay then we would say well that doesn't really make any sense either in either case it is not an argument for discrimination not at all I mean it, it's it is kind of ridiculous that we still have these people, and the same applies with climate change. I mean, if I say I think David Pakman is from Mars, uh, I think most people on the planet would probably disagree with that. But, David, some people are just going to believe that you are from Mars no matter what you do. Well, as Carl Sagan, I think it was said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And we've certainly not seen extraordinary evidence that even though nobody I know remembers choosing to be straight, including me, uh, we, we need a lot of evidence. We need extraordinary evidence to suggest that people actually choose to be gay, and we simply don't have it. Well, the problem is that these people think the Bible says it's bad, and if the Bible says it's bad, it can't be natural, it can't be good, and that's, unfortunately, to them, the Word of God. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on. For a long time, sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Okay, what what do you think is the best thing of the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is, this, is this the that hard of a question? Is it that is. What? It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right. Well, you know what. None of us know what, the, what what's good about this show. None what we know is have... we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. He spoke to me as a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels. The governor of the great state of Pennsylvania, Governor Corbett, Tom Corbett, 
has said some pretty impressive things, like the reason why uh, people can't find uh, jobs around this state is because they're all on drugs. It's impossible to find somebody to hire who isn't on, on drugs. And he would hire a Hispanic if he could find one. <laughs> yes, he had trouble finding Hispanics to hire for his cabinet. Apparently he couldn't find any because none of them wanted to move to the Capitol. That was what his experience was. They wouldn't make the commute. They wouldn't Nicaragua. make the commute. Well, here he is again, and this is pretty stunning. Um, we, we have the audio. You've got to check out the video here because he's being interviewed by uh, an anchor on WHP-TV in Harrisburg. She is so shocked at what he's about to say that she doesn't even know how to respond. And uh, here it is. Governor Corbett, given the opportunity, essentially, to walk back some incredibly offensive statements his aides have made in reference to marriage equality. And here he is. Same-sex marriage continues to be a hot-button issue here in Pennsylvania. I spoke with Governor Corbett about it when he stopped by our CBS 21 studio. Gay marriage, that's a, a big topic that's going on right now, continues to be in the, in the news. And uh, we already touched upon, there was a controversial remark made by a member of your legal team uh, comparing gay marriage to the union of 12-year-olds saying both are illegal, which you called inappropriate. It was, it was an inappropriate analogy, you know. I think a much better analogy would have been brother and sister, don't you? I don't know. <laughs> well, we, we, we. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm going I'm to leave the comments to you and your team, but you did say it was inappropriate, you, and you have a, a, a better phrasing that you, that you think, but... Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? This guy... Uh, you know, you're right. What my uh, what my age said was uh, very offensive. Let's see if I can top that. <laughs> that poor, poor anchor. She was just, uh, uh, she was stunned. Gay marriage is like pedophilia. Pfft, no, it's more like incest. Yeah. No, he's like, wouldn't you say? <laughs> and she was like, I'm actually not going to say anything except for no that is not what i would say i am already thinking about how in the edit i can actually be edited out of this clip it would have been great if she just got up and like <laughs> shimmied off you'll you'll excuse me while i uh don't taint my uh, reputation from actually being in the same room with you congratulations pennsylvania on your governor Russian LGBT journalist vows to out closeted politicians if they support a proposed legislation or a proposed law uh, that would strip LGBT parents of their parental rights. Now, obviously, Russia is dealing with a lot of anti-gay uh, mentality right now, and as a result, this 
lesbian journalist is being very outspoken about what she believes and what she's willing to do to fight against it. Her name is uh, Elena Kosyuchenko, and uh, she says that uh, she is asking her followers for information, correspondence, photographs about the deputies of the state Duma concerning LGBT activity. So as soon as she has any evidence indicating that these politicians are participating in any type of gay acts, she's going to go ahead and out them, which I think is super courageous and super dangerous. Yeah, now she's, I guess in a sense, uh, uh, their version of our Larry Flint. Mm -hmm. I don't know how she feels about that comparison, but Larry Flint, of course, publisher of Hustler, but also a legendary First Amendment activist here in America, People vs. Larry Flint established you know some very important first amendment principles but the reason i compare her to larry flint is during uh, clinton's impeachment proceedings larry flint was like oh that's interesting anybody got inform information on republican hypocrisy and cheating on their wives cuz i'm going to go ahead and publish that immediately as soon as you give it to me right and so Meanwhile, we found out later that Newt Gingrich was cheating on his wife while doing the impeachment proceedings, leading the impeachment proceedings. Uh, and then the guy who's going to replace Newt Gingrich as Speaker of the House, Robert Livingston, also having an affair with his wife. Larry Flint publishes that information. Down goes Livingston. So that was awesome, right? I, I wish a lot more people did journalism like that. Now, getting into their personal lives, if there's no point, I hate it, right? But if there's a point about hypocrisy and they're prosecuting others, have at it, boss. So if you're an if you're a closeted politician in Russia, and you're going to vote against gay rights, take away people's kids, don't let them adopt kids. Oh, of course you should be outed. And boy, does that take a tremendous amount of courage. It does. And you know, as I was reading about her, I thought maybe this isn't a good idea. I mean, first of all, you shouldn't go out and admit that you're a lesbian because of all the you know anti-gay uh, you know the anti-gay mentality that so many people in Russia have right now like you just don't want to deal with it but then again at the same time if you want to push for real change in a country you have to depend on people that are courageous like that people who do point to the hypocrisy because you're not going to change the mindset of people there unless you say hey look the people who are screaming the loudest against the gay community usually are the gayest mm -hmm. so I, I, I like that she's doing it I'm worried about her safety but hopefully everything will be fine and look, she's boss of the wall. I mean, she said, this is a warning. They want to destroy our lives, and we will destroy them. Damn. Okay, now look, man, oof, I'm really worried about her. Because the Russian government has not been exactly soft on people who disagree with them. I mean, whether it was the poison attacks in, in London, uh, whether it's the putting in jail people who disagreed with Putin and taking away all their money, etc., etc., let alone the gay legislation that's already passed. So it takes tremendous courage to uh, to do this. So enormous credit to it. But somehow, yes, somehow, you still manage. You manage to survive. You manage to survive. Stephen here. Um, I'm very proud to be British. I'm very proud to be English. Well, half English. I'm very proud to be half Jewish. I'm quite proud to be tall. I'm proud to be in the 21st century. I'm proud to be male. I'm proud that I just made a little bird noise on my film. 
I'm proud about all kinds of things to do with myself. I'm also ashamed of things. I'm ashamed of the fact that I'm not always as kind or as patient as I should be. I'm ashamed of the fact that uh, I don't always have enough time to give to people and things, and um, I'm ashamed when I make silly mistakes. And I think part of life is learning what to be ashamed of and what to be proud of. It seems funny to me to have to say that I'm proud to be gay, but goodness I am. Of course I am. Not, not proud because I think being gay has been better than anything else. I just think it's a, a wonderful thing to be in love and you follow your heart. Desire is wonderful and you follow whatever gland it is that drives your desire, your gonads. I'm proud to be who I am when I'm good and I'm ashamed to be who I am when I'm bad. But I won't ever apologize for being born the way I was, for feeling how I do. To apologize for feelings is a it's a silly thing. I should apologize for behavior that's unkind or cruel, bigoted, oppressive, snobbish, that looks down on people, superior. I should always apologize for that kind of thing. But to apologize for who one is, to apologize for how one loves, that's crazy. What would another species think of us if they caught us doing that? And yet, sadly, that's what we do all the time. So I'm proud to say that I'm proud to be gay. Today's activism segment comes to you, as always, in partnership with the Unfuck It Up Project, where creator Katie Goodman and activism director Katie Klebusik highlight individuals and organizations working to change the world. Today's campaign, Combating the Vocal Minority. Far too often, the only opinions on religion we hear in the U.S. are from the mouths of a loud, intolerant Christian minority. The Tony Perkins, Pat Robertsons, and Maggie Gallagher's in this country have built well-funded, visible platforms from which they preach hate for women, LGBT people, immigrants, and frankly, anyone not fitting into the white, European heritage, heteronormative, Christian-American box. Their voices, with the help of our lazy corporate media, drown out the progressive religious and non-religious groups committed to social justice, such as Bend the Ark for Justice, a Jewish partnership, Muslims for Progressive Values, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, and the Nalt Christian Project. A quick aside, with Americans identifying as Christian, comprising the largest segment of the population at 78%, according to Pew Research, we are highlighting NALT for time's sake, but will include links to other progressive religious groups in the segment notes. NALT, or Not All Like That Christians Project, was inspired by the It Gets Better Project, and a phrase Dan Savage often uses when his Christian listeners and readers respond to his forceful way of pushing back against homophobic, mainstream religious leaders. We're not all like that is the overwhelming response from progressive, loving Christians across the country. Savage typically says something like, quote, I know you're not all like that. My mom is a Christian. I have really great friends who are Christians. You need to tell Tony Perkins you're not all like that. He's the one out there claiming to speak for all Christians. 
Nalt co-founders Wayne Besson and Evan Hurst took those words to heart and have created a platform for LGBT-affirming Christians to submit videos proclaiming their progressive values. They do not simply tolerate or hate the sin but love the sinner. They and their more than 20 organizational supporters such as Dignity USA and the Christian left believe, quote, there is nothing anti-biblical or at all inherently sinful about being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, unquote. If you identify as Christian and progressive, today's action is for you. Visit notalllikethat.org and support the campaign to combat bigotry. You can upload your own video or simply pass along the message. Follow their social media feeds and identify yourself with their message in your own circles. Links for today's action will be in the show notes and all the usual places. Visit the Best of the Left Facebook page for updates on this and other activism opportunities. As they say, politics makes strange bedfellows. Take Anthony Weiner, please. But the twisted tweeter of New York City politics is hardly alone in the strange world of oversexed campaigns. And at least he wasn't trying to put his strangeness into law, like Ken Cuccinelli is doing. Ken, the far-right-wing attorney general of Virginia, is now running for governor. But it turns out that he really wants to be Virginia's top sex cop, patrolling people's bedrooms. That state's official tourist slogan brags that Virginia is for lovers. But not if they're into anything icky, snaps Cuccinelli, who's trying hard to reinstate a crimes-against-nature law, which was declared unconstitutional by a 2003 Supreme Court ruling. Ken loved that law because it bans sex that he finds unnatural, which apparently is anything beyond doing it in the missionary position. In particular, the law declared that it's a crime against nature and the state if any person carnally knows any male or female person by or with the mouth. Yes, that's a ban on oral sex, even by consenting adults, including married adults, in the privacy of their own bedrooms. Cuccinelli, who masquerades as a small government conservative, finds that icky. And by God, he wants his personal hang-up enshrined in law and enforced by government agents. Even sicker, Cuccinelli is trying to disguise this prudish invasion of people's privacy by calling it, get this, the anti-child predator's law. Well, the old law did have a sexual predator's provision, but why not keep that and strip out the clearly unconstitutional ban on oral sex in the home? No, says Cuccinelli, who personally intervened to kill a legislative effort to do just that. This is Jim Hightower saying, beware of Ken the sex cop or any other politicos who want in your bedroom. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. 
Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7-8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Ken Cuccinelli is running for governor of Virginia. He, was, he is Virginia's attorney general. Now, uh, he had a little bit of an issue here because there was a ruling uh, in 2003 in Lawrence v. Texas uh, where the Supreme Court said you cannot punish people for engaging in sodomy. That's very logical. You don't want to go into people's bedrooms, which they literally did in Texas in that case, and say, okay, I don't like the way you're having sex. You're under arrest. Well, Virginia had a law that said that, that exact thing, that we can do that, and that sodomy, which is both, by the way, anal and oral, both for straight people and gay people, was illegal among consulting, consenting adults. So now this is outrageous and clearly unconstitutional based on Lawrence v. Texas. So in 2004, they tried to change the law, modify the law in Virginia so they could still apply it to uh, sexual predators, people targeting uh, underage kids, which of course were all in favor of a law like that, but take out the part about adults consenting to behavior that has both none of our business and would be clearly unconstitutional to regulate. The guy who fought against that when he was in the state legislature was, you guessed it, the cooch. Ken Cuccinelli. And he fought so hard that they refused to change the law. Then as the Attorney General, he insisted that they take this case all the way up to the Supreme Court. In fact, back in 2009, he said, my view is that homosexual acts, not homosexuality, but homosexual acts are wrong. <laughs> Thank you for your view. They're intrinsically wrong. And I think in a natural law-based country, it's appropriate to have policies that reflect that. They don't comport with natural law. Well, fascinating that that's your vision of natural law. We appreciate you saying that, but uh, go ahead and uh, take a long walk off a short pier, because I don't give a damn what you think about how I should have sex. So, I mean, what am I going to do, go into Ken Cuccinelli's bedroom? I shudder. <laughs> and say, oh, no, oops, unnatural. No, you're not in missionary position. God didn't intend that. And neither did Thor. I need you to get into Okay, all right. Well, what if I think that the natural position is doggy style, which, by the way, an excellent argument could be made for. Ah, you're in missionary position, arrest them. You know, it's a felony. It was a felony <laughs> to either give or receive oral sex, straight couples, married couples in Virginia, a felony. They would put you in jail for that. Cuccinelli argued it should remain that way. Well, the Supreme Court ruled against the cooch today, saying, sorry, but... I think you have trouble reading. Even this very right-wing Supreme Court said, there's clearly a precedent. I thought we settled this. You cannot make that a felony. It's unconstitutional to uh, deprive people of due process under the 14th Amendment. Well, um, now it gets a tiny bit worse because Cuccinelli has really screwed the cooch, if you will, uh, because the entire Virginia law is now considered unconstitutional and void and because of that 90 people who are sex offenders will be dropped from Virginia's sex offender registry because the law itself has become invalid they could have kept the good parts but Cuccinelli like a rabid right-winger said no I've gotta have everything I'm gonna make it all illegal if you're not having the kind of natural sex I'm into so now they don't have any of the law and those guys get off the sex offender list 
This is sheer insanity in this day and age. And he is the official leader of the Republicans in the state of Virginia running for governor. The Republican Party. Enjoy or, according to them, don't you dare enjoy. If you do, we'll put you in jail. My son Matthew did not look like a winner. He was rather uncoordinated and wore braces from the age of 13 until the day he died. Here I am, I'm 26, I'm gay. I was in the newsroom at the Casper Star Tribune where I was a reporter. And then an anti-gay hate crime happens to one of my friends. It was unfathomable to me the description of the violence. Matt was beaten in the head and the face, struck between 19 and 21 times uh, with the butt end of a 357 Smith & Wesson. Matthew was covered in blood and the only place where there was, uh, was no blood where, where a tear had run down from his eye across his cheek. On October 6, 1998, my firstborn son and my hero lost. My first reaction was, why wasn't I there? Because I still have this haunting feeling that he was crying for dad. You know, dad, help me, help me. This was a story that got the world's attention. It was an entry point for people who didn't know that this kind of thing even happened, the, the severity of attacks on gay people. Prior to the Shepherd investigation, I was uh, completely and, and fully homophobic. The word faggot came out of my mouth as easily as I love you did to my children. And it didn't take uh, too long for me to begin to realize that all of the myths and stereotypes that I'd bought into all of my life were, uh, were just that. A lot of people began to send us cards and letters, emails, and some of them included money. And we chose to use that money to make a difference, do something positive. The world made the Matthew Shepard Foundation happen. It insisted on it. The Shepherds were called to do this work because people needed to hear from them. This afternoon I signed into law the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. That was one of Judy's goals. They had told her, we've been trying to get this law passed for 30 years. You'll never get it done. Took her another 10 years, but she got it done. The most perplexing thing about hate for me is it's a conscious choice. You choose to do that. You learn to do that. It's not going to stop until we all decide, by the millions, that we aren't going to live in that world anymore.
Those few of us who are fortunate enough to know him have always discouraged people from making him out to be a martyr. The important thing about Matt Shepard was he was a person. Just remember that Matthew was not my gay son. He's my son who happens to be gay. There were things done that night that I'll never understand. How this kind of thing still lives today in this great land. To trust a few strangers, we all have done the same. Because of what they weren't, they went looking for someone to blame. The hardest story that my ears have ever heard became the horrendous death of Matthew Shepard. Be strong, my friends, don't let this be forgotten. Brotherhood is a virtue, but hatred is not. We need to remember this, we mustn't be aside to win the battle. Gotta win the see if you can tell what is wrong with this picture. Uh, this is in Russia. You can see it's from Russian TV. This is a former world champion swimmer who's been given the honor of running with the Olympic torch. You can see there's a problem with the torch. It's not on fire. So there's some frantic gesturing. Can I get a little help here? Uh, yes, the torch has gone out. But finally, he does get a little help from a guy who seems like he is maybe kind of a plainclothes cop. He's at least a smoker, because he pulls out his Zippo, and we pretend like the whole thing never happened. Can you spark this up for me, buddy? Yeah, thanks. This is the Olympic torch. It is never supposed to go out, right? I mean, they set the Olympic cauldron on fire with great fanfare to start the lead-up to the Olympic Games in Russia in February. And then they start the torch relay, but on day one of the torch relay, the torch goes out. So that, that was Sunday. Then on day two of the torch relay, on Monday, it happened again. Uh, you see the guy running with the torch, people gathered on the streets to watch and cheer. The torch flickers a couple times, and then, uh, y you know what, I think it's out. Uh, stop everything. They, they bring in some other torches, they try fiddling with it for a while. This goes on for a minute or two. Finally, after a long time with lighters, with other torches, they finally get the thing sparked up again. A cheer goes up from the crowd, and they're off again. And then it goes out again. Uh, this time it's a very happy runner waving, yay, finishing up my part of the torch relay. And it's time for the photo op, time to hand off the flame, torch to torch to the next person in the relay. Oh, jeez, it's out. And they can't figure out how to get it started again. This one goes on for a really long time, goes on for a few minutes. Finally, somebody finds their lighter and maybe a piece of kindling or paper or something. And they have, oh, there we go, get both torches going again. But they were out for a long time. This is not the way it's supposed to go, right? This is not the way Russia's Olympics are supposed to start. Also, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing wrong. Russia, seriously, using the rainbow flag as your outfit for rain your rainbow Olympic torchbearers? The rainbow flag? Russia, seriously? There's been worry building for a while now over how really radically anti-gay Russia has become under Vladimir Putin. Uh, it is not a new phenomenon. After repeated violent attacks on gay pride parades in Russia, Moscow decided last summer that they would temporarily ban gay pride parades. The term of the temporary ban in Moscow is 100 years. A 100-year ban. So problem solved for the next century then.
As the Olympics have approached, though, Russia has really stepped it up. In June, they passed a law that criminalizes even saying that gay people should have equal rights. They say it's an anti-propaganda law. Then came their new law that bans Russian kids from getting adopted by any same-sex couples from other countries. The new law even bans any single people or even unmarried straight couples from adopting Russian kids if the country that you live in allows same-sex marriage. So even unmarried American straight people are not allowed anymore to adopt one of the 600,000 Russian kids who are up for adoption because America is too gay for Russia. The flurry of new anti-gay laws in Russia has caused some consternation uh, about the Olympics. It's raised the question, even in places like the president's interview on The Tonight Show, about whether or not participating in the Russian Olympics implies some sort of tacit approval for what Russia is doing now to gay people. This becomes particularly acute now that Russia is moving on to their next big idea, which is they want to go into people's homes and start removing kids from their parents if their parents are gay. Adopted kids, foster kids, even your biological children will be taken away from you if you are gay. Under the next bill that they're moving. And so it is an interesting question for countries that believe gay people shouldn't have their children stolen. Uh, it's an interesting question for other countries in the world as Russia keeps moving on this stuff as to whether or not participating in the Russian-hosted Olympics implies some sort of tacit consent, some sort of tacit approval for what Russia is doing. But what about not tacit approval, not silent approval? What about totally out loud, overt approval of what Russia is doing? Putin saying, you know what? Don't bring this homosexual propaganda in, into my country for the Olympics. We believe in one man, one woman marriage. There is no homosexual marriage in Russia. Which president is the lion of Christianity, the defender of Christian values, the president that's calling his nation back to embracing its identity as a nation founded on Christian values. Those, ladies and gentlemen, are quotes from Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia. He's taken what used to be our strengths, which is now defaulted into our weaknesses because of Barack Obama, no leadership, and he's making them his strengths, and he's emerging now on the world stage as a newly discovered leader. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you need to rise up. The, the people here, this is why we rise up. What Russia's done here with this law is they have expressed the values that we have been advocating for years and years and years. As well, this is exactly what Russia has established as official public policy. So in my mind, we ought to be celebrating this. This is public policy that we've been advocating, and here is a, here's a nation in the world that's actually putting it into practice. Turns out, actually, that the anti-gay American right has been more than just applauding Russia and Vladimir Putin as they enact all these anti-gay laws that they want for us here, too. Turns out that they haven't just been cheering them on. The anti-gay right here has also been helping Russia do this. Right-wing watch at People for the American Way and the Human Rights Campaign and the Council for Global Equality, they've been trying to ring the alarm bell here in the U.S. about how the American anti-gay group called the National Organization for Marriage has been working with the Russian parliament. They worked with the Russian parliament on passing that country's adoption ban for not just gay people, but for whole countries that are too positive on gay rights. It was June 11th when the Russian parliament passed the propaganda bill, the you can't talk about being gay bill. That was June 11th. Two days later, on June 13th, the Russian parliament got a visit from Brian Brown. 
He's the head of the American anti-gay group, the National Organization for Marriage. This is the Russian language website about the committee testimony that day. Now we will use Google Translate. So here it is, minus the Cyrillic. You can zoom in there to the speech delivered to the Russian parliament by Brian Brown, president of the National Organization for Marriage. And the head of it now, uh, Brian, Brian Brown, is now confirming uh, that he was there. He, he says Russian anti-gay activists invited him to Russia to address lawmakers there about their anti-gay laws, and he did so. Uh, they've even posted a Russian summary of his remarks online, uh, which we have now translated. You can see both versions tonight at matoblog.com. Brian Brown wrapped up his remarks uh, to the Russian parliament by saying he thought his visit to Russia will enable the development of this movement around the world. We will band together. We will defend our children and their normal civil rights. Every child should have the right to have normal parents. He also did interviews uh, with the Russian media while he was there, talking about how important it is for the Russian people to fight gay people on marriage and on adoption. Вы боретесь за усыновление, а это неразрывно связано с браком. И если вы сейчас не защитите свои ценности, боюсь, очень скоро мы увидим совсем плохие перемены во всем мире. Anti-gay American activists in Russia urging Russia to defend their values and crack down on marriage rights for gay people and also to crack down on kids and gay families. And five days after that visit to Russia and his speech to parliament and his interviews on Russian TV, Russia did pass their new adoption ban targeting not just gay couples, but even straight people from any country that supports gay rights. The bill's Russian sponsor said that even though there are hundreds of thousands of kids up for adoption in Russia, those kids would be better off in an orphanage than living with a mom or a dad who's gay. That passed five days after the American National Organization for Marriage went over to Russia and told them to pass it. Now Russia's moving on to the next step. The legislative calendar's been set for them to debate their new bill, which would forcibly remove kids from existing families if the parents in those families are gay. You'll be stripped of your custody rights of your own kids if the Russian government thinks you're gay. The debate on that bill is set to start in February. The Russian Olympics are set to start in February. That should be interesting. Meanwhile, here at home, the same American activist group bringing you a virulently anti-gay Russia. They remain right at the center of American Republican politics. Here's Marco Rubio agreeing to make robocalls for the National Organization for Marriage. Here's Ted Cruz at a National Organization for Marriage-sponsored summit in Iowa, trying to seem presidential. Tomorrow kicks off the Values Voter Summit in Washington, D.C., where Paul Ryan and Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and Marco Rubio are all scheduled to speak. I actually think Senator Rubio might be bailing on the Values Voters folks tomorrow. Don't tell them, but we called and asked and he wouldn't commit. The first day session has confirmed speeches from Ted Cruz, from Paul Ryan, from Rand Paul, basically the whole 2016 Republican presidential field. Uh, also speaking, first day session, Brian Brown and the National Organization for Marriage. Because presumably all the Republican 2016 candidates will be pledging their fealty to his organization, just like every major Republican candidate did in the 2012 presidential election. Presumably the Russian in tomorrow's event will have to be in subtitles. The present and future of the Republican Party kissing the ring tomorrow so everybody will know that they side with the parts of the American conservative movement that have been traveling to Russia, egging them on to step up their campaign to destroy gay people's lives and rip kids out of their families and throw them into orphanages. Because family values.
Hello, Jay. This is Steve in Northampton, Massachusetts. Just calling to uh, add an opinion on the whole GMO conversation. And, by the way, I think you've done an excellent job covering it. First point is I'm kind of shocked at the messages of people that are mislabeling. Just blows my mind, quite frankly. Two, I like the shift that Bill from Fredericksburg did from the potentially harmful conversation, you know, the whole are they going to hurt humans thing over to the corporate side. The, uh, the big corporations have clearly and consistently through the court system and patent law proven that it isn't about what's potentially dangerous. It's very much about what's already dangerous, and that is a corporate overtaking of our food system. Third point, you know, I'm right there with you on uh, the analysis of Amanda's message regarding the whole um, human genetics versus plant genetics thing. On one criticism there, though, the message you played was uh, Morgan commenting from Chicago. She wrote a bit, a little bit unfair to Amanda, who uh, did mention things like the genetic modification of Tay-Sachs, which is literally a, uh, it's a medical procedure with which a um, healthcare clinician goes in there and genetically modifies the human. It's not just about you know uh, in vitro fertilization, but that having been said, there's a huge difference between a procedure, which is something a healthcare practitioner does to a person, to a fetus, which has no bearing on the future, and then something that a corporation does to a plant, which does control the future. That child doesn't have to go back and, you know, pay every year to have the, the right to live because they had a treatment for Tay-Sachs, you know, they just get to be a human. So in other words, lack of corporate control. And uh, lastly, uh, I'm already aware of the issues on GMO. You know, I don't need a label. You mentioned, you know, labels perhaps could be educational. I don't need a label to teach me anything. That's what programs like this are for. That's what research is for. That's what news and media are for. I just want to have the labeling on there so that I can make a decision, you know, so that me, an informed consumer, can make a decision. You know, labels aren't for teaching. Labels are for selling. That's, uh, that's what I was pointing ahead. Great job with the show. Keep up the good work. Hi, this is Vicki from the Best Coast. First, I'd like to say to the breathless woman who insisted that just because something is natural, it is not necessarily safe for human beings. You are correct, but you're also assuming that nature was created for human beings. Things that are damaging to us may not necessarily be to other creatures. And I also would like to remind you that science does not always result in things that are safe or desirable or progressive. Think atomic bomb. Think chemical and biological weapons. Fracking. Fukushima. Poison ivy is very unlikely to cause massive extinction. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. The greatest dangers from GMOs are not necessarily the human health. We should be more concerned about a catastrophic ecological disaster, and we told you so, Fukushima, caused by accidental or intentional spread of genetic material to wild and organic populations. We also must be aware that the creation of these seeds and now genetically modified animals is all about taking control of the food supply out of the hands of farmers and putting it in the hands of multinational corporations. If you want some reading material, I highly recommend Margaret Atwood's Oryx and Crake Trilogy. Thanks. That's all I have to say. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So I'm going to continue the topic on GMOs and, and just start off today by saying that the term itself, GMO, for the sake of this conversation, is imprecise and too broad. Uh, I started this conversation, you know, using that term and, you know, allowed it to continue that way. And I think that was wrong. I think it, it was important that it should have been, you know, the, the conversation should have been more focused. So a lot of the comments I've gotten in, in response have basically been, been pointing that out and you know, things have gotten a little confused. So to try to clarify, you know, GMOs in general are hand in glove with industrial farming practices, but not all GMOs themselves are inherently bad. And as has been explained previously, the danger of GMOs, as I see it, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with whether or not they're actually bad to eat, but instead relate to the potential unintended consequences of altering food crops to interact with the environment differently than they would naturally to actually bring them in line with those uh, agricultural practices. So for those who've been, you know, been in contact to say that GMOs are not the problem, only maybe specific crops or the industrial agricultural practices are the problem, I will at least tentatively agree with some caveats. So the way I see it, we're, we're choosing between two bad options. Now, you know, to lay the scene, I think it's undeniable that, that the, the aforementioned GMOs and industrial agricultural practices and technological advances of, of the last 50 years have definitely increased uh, food yields and have fed a lot of people that way. And so, you know, we, now that we've started doing that, if we were to stop, there would be the definite negative consequence of millions of people, you know, potentially dying or, you know, at least becoming food insecure. At the very least, it would be a you know, unbearable shock to the system. Now, the other option is the possibility of environmental problems in the long-term use of GMOs and these irresponsible industrial agricultural practices. You know, and, and those are just theoretical. I mean, we hope they're not there, but there is no way for anyone to know. There's no science on it. So the pro-GMO people say that the anti-GMO people are anti-science, like climate deniers and anti-vaccine activists. And, you know, I take umbrage with that. I don't see myself that way at all. And frankly, the pro-GMO absolutists sound to me like those who promised 100 years ago that oil was a miracle substance that would free the world from manual labor forever, for instance. And, you know, those people were right about those short-term benefits of oil, but completely missed the long-term downfalls. Humanity has existed you know, in a very stable state as a species for many thousands of years, and that whole time we were completely unable to have a measurable impact on our environment. We existed totally within it, and only recently have we started, I think, destabilizing ourselves with these discoveries and so-called advances with great short-term benefits without understanding the downsides at all. You know, nuclear power with then disasters like Chernobyl or Fukushima and oil with the resulting greenhouse gases that cause climate change, which people 100 years ago couldn't have imagined. 
So now we feel like we live side by side with nature rather than in it, I think. So we feel like we can manipulate nature without feeling the effects. And there is simply no science available on the long-term effects of our new advancements as we come up with them. And those who are cautious about these issues are so because we have a demonstrated record of reckless leaps forward in technology that all seemed like really good ideas at the time, only to come back and bite us later. So from our experience and our bad track record with these unintended consequences that accompany those major advances, the only thing we should know for sure is that working with nature is the only way to ensure long-term stability as a species, whereas fighting and manipulating it may yield positive results in the near term, but could result in unforeseeable consequences in the long term. And to say those who oppose GMOs and irresponsible industrial farming practices are anti-science is as short-sighted as those early oil promoters who didn't see climate change coming. You know, tampering with ecological systems that sustain all life on Earth, even ever so mild tampering, is not something that should be done lightly. However, now that we've started going down the path of pursuing these various advances in energy and food production, we've begun to enjoy those short-term benefits. You know, cheap fossil fuel energy in the form of electricity and these industrial farming practices, which, you know, yield more food and so on, have actually fulfilled their promises of increasing productivity, less manual labor, increased food yields, which help feed populations that would otherwise be food insecure, and generally raise the standard of living for people all around the world turning back really isn't an ethical option at this point as so many lives hang in the balance and the only way forward is forward but i think at least we should do it you know all the while making every attempt to curb that arc and bring ourselves back into balance with nature so the way i see it we're sort of on a treadmill we're slowly picking up speed as one advancement at, you know leads to the necessity of the next and the next and the next and if you realize that things are getting out of control and we're actually not benefiting ourselves and we're having too many unintended consequences, you can't just stop the treadmill. You know, if you want to get off a moving treadmill, the answer is not to just stop running. You'll get thrown to the ground and scrape your knee and it'll be really sad. Uh, you need to slow down before you can eventually stop. And so to slow down our consumption of energy and food, we need to stabilize population through education, women's empowerment. That is what has been shown over and over again throughout the world. The more educated the population becomes and the more women are empowered, the more the population stabilizes. And so eventually, world population will sort of level off. We'll have a baseline to work on and, and hopefully get a sustainable system in place that can feed that many people and give, you know, give the energy that the, that many people need and so on. And so what's ethical is to continue to figure out a way to feed everyone, but the methods that work to feed everyone today aren't guaranteed to be free of those unintended consequences later on. And so, you know, I, I have to think to myself, would it have been unethical to prevent oil from being exploited when it had the power to relieve so much suffering? I mean, frankly, I think the, the potential benefits of oil and the damage that it would do was so far out of sight that you know, at, at the time, you can hardly blame them. There was no ethical argument that could easily have been made at the time to say, no, we shouldn't use this oil. Only now, 100 years later, do we actually begin to see the full consequences of our actions. And so now we get to this whole 
debate that we're having, you know, GMOs and science and anti-science and people yelling at each other back and forth. And it just so happens that I'm reading a Carl Sagan book right now. And I'm I just, like last night I was reading as I went to bed and, and read this bit I'm about to read to you. It's like speaking directly to this conversation on, you know, science and skepticism and, and so on. So Carl Sagan says, at the heart of science is an essential balance between two seemingly contradictory attitudes, an openness to new ideas, no matter how bizarre or counterintuitive, and the most ruthlessly skeptical scrutiny of all ideas, old and new. This is how deep truths are winnowed from deep nonsense. The collective enterprise of creative thinking and skeptical thinking working together keeps the field on track. Unquote. And you know, so blindly following where scientific advancement takes us, like oil, can be just as harmful as blindly resisting them, like vaccines. And so the, the pro-GMO callers have been referring to the scientific advancements of corporations like Monsanto and Dow Chemical as if they were synonymous with science itself. And that to be against the advancements of these companies is to be against science. And I want to be really clear that corporations that use science – and the concept of science are not synonymous. The bad track record that we have of tampering with the environment for short-term gain only to suffer long-term consequences have not coincidentally come mostly at the hands of corporations, which it just so happens mirrors almost those exact same practices regardless of their field. You know, we see it over and over again, quarterly profits over long-term strategy. Corporations do not have the same motivations as people or the human race in general, obviously. While we may be seeking for ways to live better in the moment, and some of us might even be trying to have some foresight about how to manage our society in ways that will leave it in good shape for future generations, corporations are focused on profit, and that is really just about it. And humanity's needs and corporate actions can often be in sync, don't be mistaken, but if there comes a time when they diverge, the corporations will always go to where the money is. And so, therefore, the solution needs to involve openness and transparency, which these corporations will always resist, so that we can make our decisions based on facts available. And this requires the government, representing the people, to maintain oversight over these corporate practices. And as every conversation always has to come back to this, it requires that we lessen the effect of money on politics so that the very corporations we seek to oversee can't use their profits to influence the overseers. So as I've said before, maybe labeling uh, GMO foods is not the answer, and that's overbroad and, and overly simplistic, but getting information to the people is the answer. We need to have a collective understanding of where our food comes from, how it's produced, what possible impacts those production methods have, so that we can decide together through our actions how we want to proceed as a species. You know, th there is no you know, human dictator that decides how humanity will proceed. We can only proceed by understanding our world around us and then acting on it collectively. And so as an informed electorate is necessary for a functioning democracy, humanity as a whole needs to be informed if we want to have half a chance of defending against long-term unforeseen dangers brought about by profit-seeking corporations who do not share our same priorities for survival.
I would love to hear what you think. That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestofleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. My name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained We can't see past all the sad stories And wonder why we're missing We can't see past